Lord, thank you for the good things you do for us. Thank you for fun and humor that uh, you invented, and sometimes we don't associate that with you. But it all comes from you, every good and perfect gift, and we're grateful for that. Some of us need to laugh a little bit. It's been a stressful day, a stressful week. We're learning in James that we're not to be surprised when trials show up because it's part of the process by which you bring us to maturity and take us to the next level of spiritual growth. And uh, sometimes it can get pretty intense and we lose, uh, we lose our ability to laugh. And it just gets all so serious. So we thank you, Lord, for uh, the times when pressure is relieved and we can enjoy life a little bit. We thank you that life is not a perpetual trial. We have seasons of trial. But we have so much to be thankful for. If, if we just stop and think and do as the old song says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. That's a great exercise especially when we're overwhelmed and, and kind of feeling uh, a little bit down and, and under it, under the pile. We're, uh, we're men who have been given much, and it all comes from your hand. We ask that you give us perspective tonight. We ask that you give us hope. We ask that you give us encouragement. We thank you that we have Bibles. We thank you that that Bible contains your word. And from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the sum of it is truth. It's all true. can all be trusted. What a gift you have given to us. And we would pray tonight with uh, the psalmist, that you might open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from thy law. It's amazing, Lord, that we can have so many guys, and each guy has different needs and different concerns and different circumstances. But your spirit is able to take the word and apply it to each guy. It's just remarkable how that works. Absolutely remarkable. There's power in your word. It changes lives. It changes hearts. So tonight, we, we would ask, Lord, and, 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 and really, you've done this. We don't even need to ask. It's just how you work. But we, we would ask and we would acknowledge that you custom design your ministry to us for our particular need. Apply the word to us, Lord. Perhaps you'll show us something tonight that we've never seen before, and we've been a Christian for years and years and years. But give us encouragement. Give us truth. Give us a nugget, Lord, that we can live off of. For each guy, we would make that prayer tonight. And we pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.
I used to have a Swiss Army knife, but they took it away at security at the airport. And then I got another one, but that's at the airport too. And um, actually a third is at the airport somewhere. Swiss Army knives are remarkable tools. I read today in World Magazine that the mother of all Swiss Army knives has come out. And under the heading, the little headline called Overkill, here's what it says. The Swiss Army has done it again. A new Swiss Army knife, actually produced by Winger, that would be MacGyver's Envy, if you remember the television show MacGyver. Dubbed the Giant Knife Version 1.0, this knife weighs in at 2 pounds, 11 ounces, and is nearly 9 inches long. Among the 85 tools, (laughs) this is no joke, there's a picture of it right here. Among the 85 tools, the knife has pointers, both telescopic and laser, a compass, a straight-edge ruler, a golf shoe spike wrench, and a tire tread gauge. It's got just about everything. Just about, just a, a normal Swiss Army knife has just got just about everything you need. You got a can opener, you got a screwdriver, you got a Phillips head, you got a golf shoe spike wrench. That's a big knife. I'm looking at the picture of it. It's, it's huge. It's very wide. It's got just about everything. It's missing something, though, very important. Uh, what it's missing is wisdom. Now, you can use these tools, but there is a tool that is absolutely indispensable, and it's one that every guy in this room needs. That's wisdom. Not everyone needs a uh, golf shoe spike wrench. Uh, You only need that if you're strange. (laughs) You would need a golf shoe spike wrench that you would actually use. Uh, You've got some issues in your life if you would actually use that thing on a regular basis. Uh, Actually, you might be completely in balance, but it just seems strange. Uh, Telescopic and laser pointers... Some of that you might need. Some of it, a lot of stuff on a, on a, this Swiss Army knife you'd, you'd you'd never use. But wisdom we can always use. Wisdom we're always in need of. We're in James chapter one tonight as we continue to work our way through James. And you're saying, wait a minute, are you still in the early verses of James? Yes, I am. You say you're going very slowly, and I would say you're very astute. We're, we are going slowly through James one. There's a lot in James one. Uh, one of the old commentators said this about the book of James. He said that the book of James uh, is the equivalent to Proverbs in the New Testament. Proverbs, as you know, is very practical, has little maxims, um, pithy, concise sayings that encapsulate truth uh, that are very practical. That's the way James is. James is an extremely practical book about wisdom in everyday life living. Taking the truth and applying it. Taking the truth and living it. Uh, Taking the truth and and working out your faith. 
In the book of Philippians, we read this statement. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have to note that it doesn't say work for your salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. It's a free gift from God. That's Ephesians 2.8. Salvation is a free gift of God. But when, when the Lord comes into our lives and we are regenerated by his spirit, he is now at work. And it is our responsibility, although we've received this gift, it's our responsibility to work out what he's doing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We've been noticing in James that one of the ways, one of the primary ways that God works in our lives is through trials. One of the key components in the Christian life is hardship. One of the things that God does often in our lives is gives us, he gives us something we don't want. He gives us something in our lives that we didn't ask for. He, he gives us something in our lives that we didn't sign up for. And it's a trial. Um, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, various trials, we don't all have the same trial, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a reason we have trials. As a believer in Christ, trials don't occur randomly in your life. Trials occur purposefully, and it's the Lord who sends the trial. He's going to use the trial to accomplish something in your life, and he's going to use something to accomplish the trial in my life. If you will, as God is leading us through life, he's got one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake. God is driving. He's in the driver's seat of our lives. If the truth were to be known, a lot of us could come under the heading of control freaks. We like to be in control. And there are ways of finding that out about yourself. When, when I entered the doctoral program at Dallas Seminary, they gave us a, um, a battery of uh, testing instruments. Uh, I call them personality tests. And you've taken those. Some of you guys took a personality test and you failed. Um, <laughs> that's what happened to me. You don't have a personality. Kind of disheartening, but you just move on through life. But... Actually, they, they emphasize these are not personality tests and you can't fail them. These are just instruments to find out how you're wired and how you're put together. And these are instruments to find out what motivates you and what your skill sets are. So I remember taking nine of these, and I still have them in a file in my uh, drawer back at home. Pulled it out a while back. Uh, one of those tests, uh, again, I call it a test. They don't call it a test. But there's one called the DISC profile. D-I-S-C. And uh, D stands for dominant. Uh, I, D-I, I would be influential. Uh, S is what they would call steady. C would be compliant. Now, I don't get the C part because when you understand what it's supposed to mean, that doesn't add up. Uh, I like what uh, John Trent did with this thing. He took animals and assigned animals to each of those different letters, and it's much easier to understand. So, so John says, if you're a D, if you take that and you come out a high D, you're a lion. Lions like to be in charge. 
Lions like to be in control. Uh, lions have big roars. People kind of clear out of the way when a lion gets into a room. Well, a lot of leaders, are, they're just lions. Uh, John said the eye uh, is, is an otter. If you're ever in California and you want to have a tremendous day, make your way up to Monterey and go to the Monterey Aquarium. It, uh, it's phenomenal, just remarkable. You've heard of Hewlett Packard. If I'm not mistaken, it was Hewlett uh, whose daughter was an oceanography PhD, and he put up the money for this remarkable aquarium that sits right in um, Monterey Bay, just next to Cannery Row, which John Steinbeck wrote about. Uh, on your, and it sits out on a pier. And on your way out there, um, you, you see the bay. And I have never been to Monterey Bay without seeing otters out in the bay. They're everywhere. Uh, otters, um, you know what otters do? Otters have fun. And they have those... They have those big brass telescopes you can put a quarter in, and, and you can zero in on those otters and just watch them. And, uh, you know, they're backstroking, and then they dive, and then they come shooting out of the water. And See, if you're a high eye, you're an otter. You love people, and you love to have fun. Um, The thing about those otters, you don't ever see them alone. They're, they're always in a group. I, I have a friend, um, Gary Rosberg, and some of you have been to conferences Gary's done or heard him on the radio. I, I knew Gary back when he was a, a therapist. And, and Gary would do 40 hours of counseling a week. 40 hours of counseling. Intense, heavy counseling. And it would energize him. See, if you're an otter, you love to be with people. It energizes you. I'd last about two and a half sessions doing that, and then I, you, know, you can carry me out. It's just too intense. But if you're an otter, you're energized by being with people, and you like to have fun. Some of you have kids that are like that. They just want to have fun. You remember that great old hymn of the church, and we'll have fun, 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 till daddy took the T-bird away? You remember that? <laughs> I think Martin Luther wrote that. So you got your lions, and then you've got your otters, and then you've got what he called the S would be the golden retriever. The S is steady, stable. I've got two golden retrievers. Uh, they're, they're loyal. They're steady. They're trusting they wait for you to come outside. They, they're, just, they're just there. They're just, you can count on them. You can just count on them. Well, some people are like that. They're steady. They're loyal. They don't say a lot, but when they do, it's significant. It's profound. The last one is the sea, or as John would call it, the beaver. The beavers are, are people that are really good with details. Uh, what are beavers doing? Beavers are always building, they're always constructing, they're always planning, they're always working off the topography of the land and constructing and this, and they're very busy and they're very detailed and they're very analytical, and that's how some of you guys are. Most of us are a combination. Some of us are, uh, you know, a high lion, and 
some otter with a little beaver mixed in. And some are primary beavers and some are... If you're a lion, here's where I'm going with this. If you're a lion and that's your primary trait, you want to be in control. And when life gets out of control, it's very, very difficult. And it's very hard. If you're a lion and trials come into your life, you want to fix it. But here's the thing about God. If you're a lion, what God wants you to learn to do is to submit to the lion of Judah. And he'll put you in a situation that you can't fix and that you can't change, and all you can do is submit and bow and wait upon him to do the work that you can't do. It's hard for lions. It's hard for leaders. We're all leaders in here because we're men. We have different areas of responsibility. We have different gifting, uh, giftings of leadership. Some guys are up front leaders. Some guys are behind the scene leaders. Uh, but you're a leader. If you're a husband, if you're a father, you're a grandpa, you're a leader. Somebody's watching you. You're influencing somebody's life. You are a leader. You can't get out of it. You're a leader. You're called to be a leader. You might not even view yourself as a leader, but you're a leader. And there are all kinds of books on leadership, and there are leadership seminars and all that. Here's a principle about leaders that isn't real popular, and it's not often taught. The best leaders are the best submitters. To be the leader that God wants you to be, you first must learn how to be a great submitter, a submitter to authority. We must learn to submit to his will. What was it Jesus said? Not my will, but thine be done. Our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You know what we tend to pray? My will be done. I think it was Tozer that said the greatest work and the hardest work of prayer. Catch this. He said the hardest work of prayer is getting yourself into a frame of mind where you prefer the will of God. That's tough work. Because we all have strong wills. The goal is to conform us into the image of Christ. Did you know that? He wants to take you and he wants to take me and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's going to take a lot of change. One of the primary ways that he does that is by trial. By trial. Okay. He said, Steve, we've been over this. Yeah, I know. But it's not going away, is it? We want the trials to go away, but he keeps perfecting us through trials. Now, here's the deal. When we're in a trial and we don't like it, and he kind of hems us in, and we want to fix it, but we can't, what do you do? You submit. And sometimes what he'll do, he'll put you in a trial where you're in way over your head, and you don't see any, you, you just lose your wisdom. If you've ever had, uh, if you ever had a, a teenager who's rebelled, you, you feel as a father you've lost all your wisdom. It just it tears your guts out. It's just really hard. You used to think you kind of had some sense, but 
there's such anarchy and chaos going on, and it's just kind of, you just feel like you've lost your, your wisdom. But we'll see, that's something that's designed to drive us to him. And it's really good. You know, the fact of the matter is, we all have capabilities. And we all have competencies. Once again, you take those, those tests, and they'll tell you your skill sets. Some of us are just good at things. Some of us are, are good with people. Some of us are good with uh, negotiating deals. Some of us are good with analyzing, with troubleshooting. Some of us, and, and you know, maybe you've made your living and you've been very successful. Say, so, you know, and you hear some guys, you know, who, who don't think they need the Lord. Well, I'm a self-made man. You're a self-made man, Really? Yeah, I, I worked hard. Well, good. A lot of people work hard. I worked hard in, uh, to get this success. Okay, you're a self-made man, and you think you did it. Uh -huh. You're an idiot. You're a self-made idiot is what you are. Because Deuteronomy 8.18, see, we just want everyone to feel real good in here tonight. <coughs> we we, we want to build your self-esteem, guys. If, if you really believe that you're a self-made man, uh, let, me, let me say it again. You're an idiot. Because Deuteronomy 8.18 says, it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. So are you a troubleshooter? Where'd you get the ability to troubleshoot? Are you able to help people work out difficulties and problems that they have in between? Where'd you get that ability? He gave it to you. Whatever you have, he gave to you, you see. So he takes those of us who are leaders and those of us who have skills and those of us who are men and those of us who have capabilities and competencies in certain areas, and what he'll do is from time to time, he'll frustrate us and he'll put us in a trial that we can't fix because that's the procedure by which he is going to conform us to Christ. Jesus was in submission to the Father, and he wants me to be in submission to the Father. Now, when you get in over your head, what you do is you find yourself going to him and asking for wisdom. Verse 5, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, James chapter 1, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So here's the thing about God. God says, you want wisdom? You need wisdom? I'll give you wisdom. That's an amazing statement. God offers us his wisdom for the hardship and for the trials that we're in that we're not able to navigate. He'll give us his wisdom. It's a promise. But then he goes on and says this, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, this can raise some, some questions. You're saying, all right, so wait a minute. I'm to ask the Lord for wisdom, but I'm not to doubt. So is it wrong to doubt? He's very practical here. Let, let's, let's talk about doubts for a minute. Let's first of all talk about what he's not saying. There, there are times in the Christian life when you're just going to get hit by a doubt. The, the scripture doesn't say that we are just to ignore all of our doubts. It's not a sin to doubt. Have you ever had the experience, you're just driving down the road and you're by yourself and you're thinking, and, and, and 
and all of a sudden the thought comes into your head, what if all this isn't true about God? Because it's pretty wild, isn't it? You ever start thinking about God and say, well, what if, what if he's really not there? I mean, what if it isn't true? Because after all, where did he come from? You ever think about that? You ever think about where God came from? That, that is a mind stretcher. Well, he didn't come from anywhere. He's always been. Okay? And so I start thinking back as far as I can in eternity. Okay? But where did he come from? Well, he's always been. Well, how can you always be? Well, if you're God, you've always been. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. But it's what the Word of God says. Uh, you go down and take a course in theology, they'll talk about the aseity of God at Dallas Seminary. A-S-E-I-T-Y. The self-existence of God. He's always been. We can't get our arms around that. We can't wrap our arms around that. It's just too big. It's too lofty, you see. But this is the God of the Bible. And, and you know what's wild? This is the God who has always been and who always will be and who has planned the end from the beginning and who spoke the worlds into existence. This is the God who says to you and who says to me, if you need wisdom, I'll give you my wisdom. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Why would we doubt that he would do that? I think it's interesting that James says, if you ask God, he'll give you wisdom, but don't doubt. There, there's a proper kind of doubt. The, the scripture does not ask us to throw away our minds when we come to Christ. If you've, if you've ever heard the idea that, that faith is just taking a blind leap, that's not Christianity. Isaiah says, come and let us reason together. If, if, if your faith is just based on a blind leap, um, you've got a faulty faith and you've got a defective faith. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there's no resurrection, if Jesus didn't come out of the tomb, you know what he says? He says we're fools. We've been, do we've been conned. It's the biggest con job in history. That's why Frank Morrison, who is a, a brilliant and wealthy young man in England, as he was finishing out university, I believe it was at Oxford, he was trying to figure out what to do with his life. He had all the money in the world. He was set financially. And he wanted to really contribute. He didn't want to waste his life. And as a college student, he thought to himself, you know, the greatest service I could do to mankind would be to prove once and for all this myth of the resurrection of Christ as being untrue. I'm going to expose it. He graduated, made his way down to Israel, um, and began to research. He was, going to, he was just going to research and write it all out and deliver people who had been deceived by this nonsense that Jesus rose from the dead. He spent two years researching, pondering, going to the sites, reading the text, 
Incredible research. Two years, he wrote his book. You can still buy it today. It's called Who Moved the Stone? And in his book, Frank Morrison tells the story of how he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Because after researching the facts of the resurrection for two years on the exact sites outside of the city and in the city, the evidence was overwhelming. He didn't throw away his mind. He used his mind, you see. So what does he mean here when he says, don't doubt? It doesn't mean that we're not going to have legitimate questions in our journey. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask legitimate questions. But remember, James is a very practical book, and he's addressing believers. And here's what he's saying. If you ask God for wisdom, and by the way, who is your God? Who is he, and what is he like? And what is his nature, and what is his character? Let me ask you something. Who is the person in your life that you respect the most? I'm talking about a human being. Who is, the, who, who is the man in your life that you have the most respect for? Who is the man in your life that you trust over any other man? It obviously would be a man that you know very well. Uh, you've spent time with him. Uh, you've been influenced. You've seen him in public. You've seen him in private. But, but you basically, this might be the man that you would put in your will as guardian of your children. If something happens to you, I would entrust my children my most important treasure, I would entrust my children to this man because of his life, because of his character, because of who he is up front and behind the scenes. You know anybody like that? You probably do. If someone like that, if you had a friend like that, and they made you a promise, you'd be pretty comfortable with the fact that they're going to fulfill their promise because they're a person of integrity. Even if it costs them something dear, their integrity is so important. As Psalm 15 says, they, they would swear to their own hurt and not change. Well, if, if we can have that kind of trust in a particular human being, why can't we have that trust in the living God? If God offers to us wisdom for our situation, when we're over our heads, it doesn't make a lot of sense to doubt him once you realize who it is that's making the promise. There are some things God can't do. God can't lie. He's not able to lie. It's not in his nature. It's not in his character. Because his nature is holy. The holiness of God means absolute moral purity. There's no capability to lie. So if he says something, he will perform it. Uh, you, you read the book of Joshua, and towards the end of Joshua, Joshua makes the statement twice that every one of the promises was fulfilled. Not one. Not one went by the wayside. So what does James say here? Any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting the character of God. Without any doubting that God will perform what he has promised to do. So in the, the context, here's what you're not doubting. Lord, you said you would give me wisdom 
I believe you'll give me wisdom, and I don't doubt that you'll give me wisdom. That's what he's talking about here. Wisdom beyond my ability, wisdom that I don't have to navigate this situation. Now, let's make this real practical. We, we get into spots. We get ourselves into situations. I, I have a friend, and we worked on some projects together a number of years ago, and, and then he went in a little bit different direction. We didn't see each other as often. Uh, as a matter of fact, I haven't seen him for probably 15 years. Talked with him on the phone several times over the years, but... Um, well, I recently got a call from him, and he was coming into town. It was a last-minute trip, and he asked me if I had any time the next day, and I did that afternoon. Long story short, we wound up getting about an hour and a half together. And it was really kind of fun because 10, 15 years since we'd sat down and talked. So we had a lot of catching up to do. Uh, this guy's an interesting guy. He's, uh, uh, his gifts and his skill set, he, he's... Uh, He's really good with money. He's, he's a good manager. He's, uh, he's a great administrator. Never made big money, just average money. But uh, real cautious investor, real careful investor, had a very conservative plan. Interestingly enough, before he called me, the week before, I had been talking to my son about just some basic principles of investing and I use this guy as an example because just piecing together some things he had said to me over the years um, I, I knew he had a nest egg put away of somewhere around two million dollars just making average money but he'd just been real methodical and real careful and very frugal and you know not flashy not the big deal you got something for me, Lou? Scott Bailey. Scott Bailey, you hear? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, so anyway, this is the guy that calls me, and we wind up talking, and we're, it takes about 30 minutes. We're just, hey, how are the kids doing, and how's your wife, and all this, and we're just, you know, just talking. And then suddenly we went deep. It's like we got caught up, and then he looked at me. He says, you know, Steve, he says, the last five years have been the toughest years of my life. I said, really? This guy's a mature believer. This, this guy is about kingdom business. This, this guy has got his priorities squared away. I said, really? He said, it's been unbelievable. I said, well, what happened? He said, you know what? He said, I made a bad business decision. I didn't know he was capable of making a bad business decision, but he did. He said, I made a bad business decision, and I made it with my heart instead of my head. And then he told me his motive was good because he was trying to help someone that was near and dear to his heart. And for that reason, he led with his heart instead of his head. And he said, you know, Steve, he said, I lost everything. Really? 
I more than lost everything. I went in the hole. As much as I had, I lost that, and I went that much in the hole. That's where I've been the last five years. He said, it's been, a, it's, it's been hard. And it's, it's made me revisit some things I believe about God. And this guy's a stud when it comes to faith. He said, it really, really threw me for a while. I, I'd, I'd do all right for a while, then it'd throw me, and I couldn't understand it. And it just, but, and the other thing was, I, I wasn't sure how we were going to make it. It was that bad. He said, I actually, I actually had to borrow money at a certain point off a credit card to pay my bills. This is a guy that never had credit cards except for business expenses. That's how low he got. He'd never been there before. He, 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 and even as he was telling me about it, you could just see the pain in, in his face and the tightening in his chest. He said, it's been, he said, it's been unbelievable. But he said, you know what it's done? He said, it's, um, it's really driven me back to the Lord. Not that I was away, but, but you know what I realized? There had been some subtle drifting that I really hadn't caught. Just subtle. But when this trial came into my life, I mean, when, when you're on your knees every morning asking for wisdom on how to make it through that day, and this is a guy, now understand, that had always been very, very capable financially. Always had that cushion. Not a high roller. Very conservative. He said, this was a new experience for me. But as much pain as it brought into my life, he said, you know, it's been so valuable for me. It's been so good for me. He said, you know what's done? It's sharpened me. He didn't say this, but here's what I picked up. God has used this guy. But God's taking him through this experience. God's taking him to the next level. But pretty tough and pretty brutal. He didn't ask for it. He didn't want it. He wouldn't have chosen it. But sometimes God signs us up for classes that we'd never sign up for on our own in that university of trials. And he is the chancellor, and he is the president, and he is the registrar. And he will admit you, and you don't even need to fill out an application. When you say, Jesus, come into my life, you're enrolled. <laughs> Now, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> it should be encouraging, guys, because you know what I see in James? One of the things I see, and I want to hit this again, when trials hit our lives, they're not random. It's just not, oh, gosh, just having a bad day. It's just the luck of the draw. It's the hand of God at work in your life. It's the hand of God at work in my life. Sometimes he hits the accelerator. Sometimes he hits the brake. When you're 
when, when you're wired like so many of us are, we always want to be moving ahead. We always want to be achieving. We always want to be progressing. Sometimes he moves us back. And we assumed that at this point in life, we assumed that at this age in life, we would be here and up here. But at this age of life, we're not up here, we're down here, and we're back here. That's the hand of God. It's not chance, it's not luck of the draw, it's the sovereign, providential hand of God who was working in my life. There's an old hymn that says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. It's just in our hearts. When things are going good on every level, we tend to drift. We tend to wander. In, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is it 6? Let me think for a minute. I think it is 6. Well, let's look. I mean, we had a Bible here. Let's just take a look. Let me show you this. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, yeah, yeah, it is 6. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 10. They're going to go into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. And the, the leadership was going to transition from Moses to Joshua. And you know the story. They wandered in the wilderness because of the unbelief of the ten spies who had seen God do remarkable things like opening the Red Sea. You remember that? They, they were, the, ten, the 12 spies went on a reconnaissance mission. They saw the land, they checked it out, they came back with a great report, it's an unbelievable land, but there were giants in the land, so 10 of the 12 guys, the exceptions were Joshua and Caleb, 10 of the 12 said there are giants in the land and we can't take these guys. Now the problem with that was that God had just opened the Red Sea for them weeks before, and just prior to that, there had been 10 supernatural plagues that had been put on Egypt to show the power of the one true God, and they come back and say, we can't go into the land because there are giants in the land. The, the God who turned the river and the water into blood, the God who had the nation overrun with frogs, the, the, the God who killed the firstborn of everyone and everything where the blood wasn't put over the doorpost in Egypt, that God who did all that can't help us take these giants. That's stupid. That's just flat out stupid. And when I was a little kid in Sunday school, I remember thinking how stupid those guys were. Man, if I ever saw God work like that, I'd never doubt him. I remember thinking that. I remember, think, I remember thinking that at a Sunday school picnic in Bakersfield, California. I can remember the softball diamond, and we just had that lesson. It was some like vacation Bible school thing. And I remember I was waiting to get up and bat. And I remember thinking, those guys were stupid. If I ever saw God do something like that for me, I'd never doubt God. Boy, was I stupid. <laughs> Part of being stupid is you don't know you're stupid. Those guys that seen God do remarkable things, yet right now, today, what they're facing, they couldn't trust him. How many times have I done that? How many times have you done that? So we keep going through the process of learning to trust, of learning to trust, of learning to trust. 
not in our own wisdom, not in our own capabilities, in his. Now, look what happens. I I want you to see this. They're going to go into the promised land. In verse 10, it says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities. Now, catch all that God's going to do when they go into the promised land. To give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig. I love that. Hewn cisterns. You get a chance to go to Israel, uh, and you're over there with Chuck or someone who leads a tour, you'll go into a cistern, maybe at Megiddo, and uh, you walk down these stairs. Cisterns, there's not a lot of water in Israel, so they've got to capture all the, all the rainfall. And at Megiddo, this, this tell, this archaeological site, Har Megiddo, where the battle of Harmageddon is going to happen at some point in the future. You're up there and you look over that great valley. But, but they had that city built up and the fences, and in order to stand off an army or a siege, they had to have water. So you walk down these steps, and as you're walking down these steps out of stone, you see the chisel marks. Somebody one day said, you know what, we got a hewn a cistern. So they handed out some hammers and they handed out some chisels and they started hewing just one shot at a time. And everywhere you go going down those stairs, you see those chisel marks. They chiseled that sucker out of rocks and it's about 200, 300 feet deep. And you just walk right down the stairs as they would do and get the water. It's there to this day. For someone to hewn a cistern for you was a great gift. I'm going to give you houses full of things which you didn't fill, hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you will eat and you will be satisfied. And then when that happens, note this. So I'm going to give you all this stuff. It's going to be the greatest coup in the history. Houses, crops, hewn sisters. I'm going to give it all to you. Watch this. Verse 12. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Why would he say that? Because when everything gets good in our lives, the right house, the right car, all the IRAs, 401Ks, this, the $3 million nest egg, this, that. When it's all good, when it's all sweet, when it's all health, when it's all riches, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Why? Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. So out of his goodness and out of his mercy, he doesn't spoil me. He'll bring me a trial. Well, I don't know why God's brought this. You know what? That trial, that, that hardship in your life, you have no idea what sin and degradation that is keeping you from until you get to heaven. We just don't know. Well, I don't think that's the case. Well, then you've got a very high view of yourself. And I have a very high view of me. You ever look around and you see guys and they, they've got it all? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to my friend. And uh, 
just after spending time with him and I drove away, I was just thinking, I, I noticed some, I, I noticed a difference in his, in his spirit. I don't know any other way to put it than the last time I'd been with him a number of years ago. Guy was a solid believer, a mature, but you know what there was? There was a, um, there wasn't an edge there. And there kind of used to be a little bit. It was gone. When you've been humbled like that, that's tough. But somewhere I read that that was a good thing. Humility. Have this same mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. Although he existed as God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be held on to, Philippians 2. But laid aside his privileges. Humbled himself. You know what humility is? Humility is preferring someone else over yourself. Humility is taking the lower place. Leaders don't do that. You young men, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humility is a wonderful thing. Most of us in here, we've got edges. We don't even know we've got them. I love it in Psalm 19 where, where David asked God to forgive him of presumptuous sins. Uh, Lord, my blind spots. Take care of my blind spots. You've got blind spots. I've got blind spots. The reason I almost had an accident on I-35 coming down here at Louisville was I had a blind spot in my mirror. I didn't know that red Pontiac was there. And I just caught it out of the side of my eye just at the last second. You see, we've got blind spots as we go through life. So God in his goodness, you see, he's up to something, guys. And we would like this, and we'd like success here, and we want this and this and this, and then we go, well, why, why is this not? Because he's at work in our lives. This is making any sense. It's not a lot of fun, but it's sort of the way it works. It does, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't, in the midst of trials, that God hasn't been good to us and God hasn't blessed us. Everything that's good in your life comes from him. And, and don't we all have so much to be thankful for? Huh? I mean, you got up this morning and you had to go out to the well and you had to pull that water up. You brought it into your wife, and she's making a fire. You had to heat that water. Yeah, we don't do that. Get up, walk in, turn on the shower. Hot water. Hot water. Just there. Walk in. Get your coffee with your timer. All that. You preset it the night before. Puts the cream in it. There's a cow that's connected to it. It's fresh organic cream from Whole Foods. Just amazing how we live, isn't it? We got trials, yeah. But have we got blessings in the midst of trials? Yeah. And he is orchestrating what he gives and what he withholds because he's trying to turn us into better men and more mature men. I'll tell you something that's interesting. As I walked away from that conversation with my friend, oh, and by the way, I forgot to tell you. 
He said, you know, Steve? He said, I got to tell you something that's really interesting. He said, I just, for all those years, there were, it was five years. He said, there were nights I couldn't sleep. I, I didn't have any peace, and I'd pray, and I just couldn't get on top of things. And I, was, I had all these questions, and I thought, God, you promised, and why? I mean, this, this guy knows the word. He said, I was battling. I, I, I was battling to get my wheels under me. And it didn't all add up. And I know the promises, and I'm praying the promises, and it's not happening. It was, it was, a, it was a hard time. He, he said, here was the thing that got me. I couldn't see any way out. I couldn't see any way to recover. He says, because everything I could see, there was no way. There's no, I, don't, I don't have enough years to gain that back. He says, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something that's pretty neat. He said, before I went through this thing, he, he said, I bought some land just out on the edge, way out. And somebody was unloading. It was just, I bought it. I don't usually do that, but I bought it. And uh, so I had it, owned it. It was about all I had. And uh, anyway, not worth a whole lot. He said, you know, it's interesting about two years ago, some developers went out there. And I saw some stakes, and they're staking it out. And then there's bulldozers all around. And then there's this. And then there's going to be a shopping area. And then there's going to be this. Um, he said, you know what, Steve? He said, um, I just pulled even. Remember I told you I'd lost everything, and as much as I had, I went that much in the hole? He said, just in the last couple of months, I'm out of the hole, and I'm even. I said, really? He said, yeah, that land has gone up 10 times in value in the last 24 months. He obviously lives in another state. <laughs> or I'm moving to at the end of the month. Um, it's gone up 10 times. He said, I took a small portion of my land and sold it to a developer, and it brought me even. He said, I could sell today the rest of it at today's prices. I'd gain everything back and more. That kind of fits Job, doesn't it? Everything Job lost, God replaced to him double. Hmm. See, what happens to us, we get in trials and we see that there's no way out. There's always a way out. At the Red Sea, there was no way out. So what does God do? <laughs> he loves to make a way where there is no way. That's what he loves to do. So we're in these trials. And you know, we, we're pretty creative. And we got Now to him who was able to do, Ephesians says, now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you could ever ask or think. That's our God. That's our God. 
what my friend was saying to me, he said, I knew the promises and I was praying the promises. But in his goodness, God fulfilled the promise, but not on my time schedule. God will fulfill his promise. He may delay his promise based on your time schedule. Have you noticed how we tend to schedule God and his answers to prayer? Lord, I'm in this trial, and I just pray. I, I, um, I speak it into existence because I saw this guy on TV. And I ream of faith this into existence. And I pray that by, what is this? February, whatever it is, 20th. I can't read my watch. By, by, I pray by Easter Sunday I'll be out of this trial. And you're praying diligently and you're claiming and you all that. And Easter Sunday shows up and you show up here up from the grave. He arose, you know, and it's all great and good and all that. And you go to bed that night and you're still in the trial. And then you get upset with God. Don't get upset with God if that happens because God never told you you'd be out by Easter. You made that up in your own head. He knows when to relieve the trial. As I'm driving away, that was quite a conversation. As I'm driving away, Benny Hinn just walked in. Uh, but I caught him. As I was walking away, or driving away, I thought about, I was thinking about all this, and then I, there was a piece of the conversation I didn't mention to you. But just for a minute, um, the name of a mutual friend came up. We both knew this guy. We both know this guy. And I haven't seen this guy in a while, but um, I had heard that he was really, really doing well financially. And my friend knows this guy. And yes, indeed, he's done very well financially. Probably to the, to, why my friend, the last five years, his story, at the same time, this friend has probably made somewhere between 40 to $50 million. Guy that knows the Lord, guy that loves the Lord. He said, you know, I'm really not free to say much and... Uh, I will tell you this, there's no moral issues. But why don't you be praying for him? He's, uh, he's going through a real tough time. Not financially. And if I'm not mistaken, just because of a couple other pieces, I think the tough time this guy's going through is over a lack of a teachable spirit. A lack of a teachable spirit. I've never known that to be in his life before. But he's doing really, really well financially. Now let me tell you something. If God could lay out to me, hey Steve, next five years, you can lose it all and go in the hole, or I'll give you what's behind door number three, which is 50 million bucks. Now can I just go ahead and share with you what I would choose? <laughs> I would choose door number three. 
I would say, I speak it into existence. I Rima door three. I claim the $50 million, Lord, because I know you want to bless me so I can buy a private jet and not have to fly JetBlue. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think if my other friend were here, you know what I think he'd say? I think he'd say, you know, if I had a choice between what I've gone through and the $50 million, I think I'd choose what I've gone through. Because he's in a better place in his heart with the Lord than our friend, who's a good guy and loves the Lord, is in right now with all that stuff. He's got houses he didn't build. He's got vineyards he didn't plant. He's got money he never conceived of. Watch yourself. So we thank you, Lord, and we bow before you, and we thank you for the trials. Trials save our lives. You've promised to give us everything we need when it comes to wisdom. And when we're in that trial, we don't like it. Sometimes, Lord, we doubt. Sometimes we doubt your promise. Sometimes we doubt that you'll give us wisdom. Sometimes we doubt because you don't work on our time schedule. I, I simply pray for each of us in this room because we're, we're, we're all going through something. That, Lord, you might um, help us to gain perspective, help us not to compare with other people what they've got, what we don't have. Lord, would you help us, or leaders, would you help us to submit? Would you help us to bow before what you're doing in our lives? We'll continue to pray and ask you to deliver us, and you will deliver us. You'll take care of all of our needs, and you will get us through it just as you got my friend through it. He made it. He made it. He didn't think he was going to make it, but he made it. Well, we'll make it. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You may scare us to death, but we'll make it. But would you help us to bow and to submit? to your good work in our lives and to not fight you and to not resist you but to yield to you. The old song says, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I am, you are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. That's hard for us to pray but we pray it tonight. In Jesus' name.